WEEI Studios, 93.7, WEEI-FM and HD1, Lawrence, Boston. We're always live on the free Odyssey app. Hey, you know what? Let's make sure we win the World Series this year. How about that? It's a Red Sox Full Throttle Friday. Swing and a miss. It's over. The Red Sox have swept the Colorado Rockies. The Red Sox are the world champions of baseball for 2007. On the Rich Keefe Show. And did he make the catch? He did. He got it. The Red Sox win. Red Sox. I just went head over heels in my chair. Brought to you by McFarlane Energy, the E.L. Harvey Companies, and Aviva Trattoria. And the Boston Red Sox become the first team in the 21st century to win two World Series titles. Can you believe it? All right. It's time for some full throttle Sox talk, and it's co-sponsored by McFarlane Energy. The heating, cooling, and bioheat delivery pros that Eastern Mass and all of Cape Cod depend on at McFarlandEnergy.com. By the EL Harvey companies, including Nosset Disposal and Mega Disposal, your local trash collection and recycling providers. And by Aviva Trattoria, Italian-inspired, locally made from fresh, whole, locally sourced ingredients. Every Friday up until baseball season, we will be uh, doing this right around 7 o'clock on the Rich Keefe Show, WEEI. And uh, a couple of things. As it relates to the Red Sox, one, they lost out on another free agent today. And lost out would almost imply like they were in it and they had a chance. to. Uh, I don't think they were. But who's the starting second baseman for the Red Sox this season? I'll pause, allow you to think. Okay, I got nobody either. I, I, I'm not sure what they're going to do at second base. Whit Merrifield was available. I know he's in his mid-30s, but he was an all-star last year with Toronto. You can play him uh, at... At second base, he can also play in the outfield if you need him to, especially if uh, Yoshida is going to be DHing a lot this year. But it just seemed like a, a guy, and he's a, a right-handed bat, sort of offset some of all the lefties that they have in the lineup. I thought he was one of those free agents that looked still pretty good to me that was out there. There's uh, more than a handful of them, by the way, which is more of a problem with Major League Baseball than with uh, just the Red Sox in particular. But Whit Merrifield goes on a one-year $8 million deal to the Philadelphia Phillies with a club option for 25. So no idea if the Red Sox were in on that. No idea if they you know were in, but they, they went low or if Merrifield didn't want to go to the Red Sox. I don't know, but I'm just saying like, that's the kind of guy the Red Sox add Jordan Montgomery, let's say, and Whit Merrifield. They don't trade away Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin. They don't trade away Jaron Duran. You're still not the favorite by any stretch, but I don't know. Could you play that out and see see what that looks like? Instead, it just continues to be shedding salary, bringing in nobody other than Lucas Giolito, who I don't think anybody wants, and then that's what we're looking at for the 2024 Red Sox. Last night with Andy Hart, we were talking about the uh, season total for this year, win total for this year. If you're looking to, to make a bet, 80 and a half. Do you think this team wins... 80 games, or I guess 81 games. Do you think they, so that would be 500. Do you think right now, based on all the moves that they have made, that the Red Sox are going to have a winning record? I can't imagine. And, you know, last year they won 78 games. The year before that, they won 78 games. I don't know how they're better. Like, maybe the defense is a little bit better. Okay, great. That's nice. The pitching, 
doesn't appear to be better. The lineup's worse. I don't know how you can look at the lineup and be like, oh, the lineup's better. Even if you get another good year at Tristan Casas or you get another, you know, Devers, like Justin Turner was one of their best players from wire to wire last year. He's gone. You know, Adam Duvall was pretty good while he was while he was uh when he was healthy, but he's gone. So I'm looking at the under. I feel pretty good about the the under. Now they did kind of fall off last year. Last year they started pretty good. And it looked like they might even be a playoff team. Like they were in it. They started strong. You look at how they were able to uh, get to 78 wins. So they had a winning record in April. They were 500 in May. They were two games under 500 in June. They were really good in July. Then a couple of games under 500 in August. And then in the month of September, they went 8-19. and So they completely fell off a cliff. So you could say, well, if they were a little bit better in uh, September, then maybe they would have had a winning record, and then you know who knows. But I don't think there's a. Ch- I don't think they're going to be as good as they were the first four months of the season this year. Like I think they're going to be consistently uh, below that. The rest of the division appears to have gotten better, so I think they're in uh, quite a bit of trouble. So even with that extra wild card spot, nobody's predicting playoffs, including Craig Breslow. So this is from earlier in the week. Pitchers and catchers are already down there in Fort Myers. I think the Greg Hill show is going to be down there in Fort Myers coming up. Not this week, yeah, next week? Uh, maybe next week. It's coming check. up. Yeah, it's coming up. They're going to be down there. They're going to be talking to, to every uh, everybody they get their hands on down there. But uh, earlier in the week, both Craig Breslow and Alex Cora spoke to the media. Here was part of uh, Craig Breslow's little uh, Q&A. It's a really strong division. Um, a number of teams, uh, you know, kind of coming off really, really strong years have uh, made meaningful steps forward. Um you know, I think we're also aiming to be as competitive as we, we possibly can. Uh, you know, I've talked about not being willing to sacrifice the long-term outlook, um, you know, for, for short-term gains necessarily, um, because I think at times that can, uh, that can kind of fly in the face of building uh, longer-term organizational health. Craig, I think fans want to know, do you believe this is a playoff team? Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's kind of foolish to, to make predictions like that. I think this is going to be a, a very competitive team. I think it's going to be a, a team that is going to take, uh, that's going to see its players take a meaningful step forward. And I think, uh, you know, there's a really exciting young core of players um, that we are, are really, really excited about. And I think that fans are going to fall in love with. Yikes. Lipstick uh, on a pig. Dude, I've, I've never been a fan of Breslow. It also makes me wonder, like, why did they fire Heim Bloom? I was not a Bloom fan. I thought Bloom needed to move on, but I also thought that the next person that you brought in was going to be different than Bloom. Like, this has been run just like Bloom. Even the way it, uh, they talk about it, it sounds like Bloom. So if you fire, you get you move on from Bloom. You bring in Craig Breslow. What does Craig Breslow want to do? Wait for the guys that Bloom drafted to become good. That's the plan. That's what he says, like, multiple times. Like, we're not going to sacrifice the future we got young guys that fans are going to fall in love with. It's all about improvement. It's not, it's not like getting good players. They're going to develop the players that they already have. This is the pros. Like, this, is, this isn't like a college team. This is like They're going to develop all these guys. So everybody that's on the team, like, they all need to get better. Rather than going out and identifying really good players and just bringing them in and allowing them to just be really good players and trying to win that way, no, we're just going to wait around. Like, I... I 
was by no means a fan of Heim Bloom, especially his inactivity at the trade deadlines over the last couple of years. But there's no reason to fire him other than the front office uh, or you know John Henry must have felt like all right this will this will calm the fans down a little bit for a week. Yeah, right. For, the, you know for a week. Mean? Yeah, right. That's the thing is like I like we're not I mean, we might be dumb. We're not that dumb. So you're like, okay, good. You you made that move. But then as soon as you saw Breslow come in here, do nothing, didn't wasn't in the bidding for Shohei Otani, didn't get any big name free agent. They trade Alex Verdugo for like prospects. They trade half of Chris Sale's contract away for a guy that the Braves have given up on. They don't really do anything else. Lucas Giolito, essentially a one-year deal. So there's no long-term deals. There's no real commitment to this team. And then it's just multiple times talking about the future and the young guys. So it's like, Heim Bloom could have done that. Very, very bizarre to me. The other story that's kind of picking up steam here as it relates to the Red Sox is Alex Cora's role in all of this. So Alex Cora, at the end of last year, was adamant that he was going to be back, even after they fired Heim Bloom. And he didn't know who Cora's new boss was going to be. Cora's like, I'm definitely going to be here. And so they hired Breslow, and obviously those guys are, are familiar with each other. But now it just seems like Cora doesn't want to be here. He's in the last year of his contract. Usually coaches and managers that you feel any halfway decent about, you sign to an extension. Right? You don't want players on the team looking at the coach or manager being like, well, this guy's gone. Why am I listening to him? He's going to be gone the end of the year, maybe even during the year. So Cora's going into it, lame duck year, and does he want to be here? Does he not want to be here? He was sick, quote-unquote sick, the first day of pitchers and catchers. Had a little uh, tummy issue, I guess, or maybe at the trots. But prior to him uh, bagging out on a day, he did talk to the media. I think this might have been on Monday, and uh, here's some of that back and forth. Where do you see yourself at in terms of like longevity as a manager? I'm not going to manage ten more years. I don't see myself being like Tito or Tony. You know, uh, I got two boys. I got a, I got a daughter that you know she's a junior in college. So there's more more in life than than baseball to be honest with you you know this is a a tough business and i mentioned it three years ago i read guardiola's uh book you know and he said that when you spend more than five or six years in one place it can take a toll on you and i think i got hit last year with that you know i'm glad that i recognize that and i think the pictures and the videos they recognize that and a conversation with my mom who actually was very honest when I got back home. She crushed me. It's not easy, man, like dealing with the media, dealing with players, the front office, the pressure of uh, winning. It's not, it's not easy, you know? It should be fun, and sometimes it's not. Obviously, it's something that is gonna come up through the season, and I respect that, but I really don't wanna talk too much about it because this is where I am. I love it here. I appreciate everything that this organization have done with me and my family. You still like to be I don't want to talk about that now. now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the guy's miserable. Sheesh. Miserable. His mom's like, what are you doing? Mom's telling Get him to leave, apparently. They're like, oh, what do you, like, what do you, what's your future coaching or being a manager? <sighs> well, I'm not going to be doing this for 10 more years. I'll tell you that much. You're in any place for five or six years. You want to get out of there. <laughs> the guy wants out. Uh, so he doesn't even want to talk about the future. He's miserable slash maybe trying to get a much bigger contract, right? Like there's always that part of angling of it too. And sort of being like, Oh, like I got other things I got. But with before the season even starts, 
if in your little uh, Q&A you're talking about how there's more to life than baseball, which is true and obvious, but, like, you could say that about every sport and about every single job that you have. I doubt anyone on the Dodgers is saying No that. kidding. Like, can you imagine if the uh, you know the Celtics started their season this year and, and Missoula or Tatum was like, listen, it's not, it's more than basketball. Tatum's like, you know, when you've been anywhere for five yeah, years. Like, huh? What? Like, you want out now? Yeah, I understand there are more important things than baseball, but then he's like, it's not fun. Like, the guy, he is down in the dumps. Might as well just put him out of his misery. Just find somebody else to manage the team. He doesn't want to be here. So, yeah, this thing is uh, it, we're middle of February, and this is where we're already at. Like, that sounds like a guy that just lost six games in a row and was looking for answers. Not, hey, the season's about to begin. Everybody's 0-0 and ready to start the season. Like, there's supposed to be that thing about opening day where everybody's kind of in it. Everybody's got a chance. You know, Cora's like, you're here six years. I read something in a book one time. You're like, oh, my God. You may need to have medical staff on him when he really does lose six games in a row and then he's talking to the Seriously. Media. Like, this is uh, not sound, not sounding uh, very good. With me and my family. You still like to be here? I don't want to talk about that. Right now. Yeah. Do you want to be here? Not like, hey, do you want to be here for 10 years? Because, okay, so, whatever. you already answered. softball. Do you want to be here? I'm not talking about that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well. Good luck to the Red Sox. I will take the under on 80 and a half wins. Uh, and again, it hurts. It hurts as the host of the pregame show, Stiz, now the producer of Red Sox baseball. We hope that they win every game. I want them to. It just, I don't know how you could possibly see like a good season coming this year. I do don't. you do you think there is, you know, because I've been hearing the rumors, as I'm sure you have, John Henry is is getting close to selling. So I bought into that earlier, and then I was like, they brought in Theo Epstein, and I'm like, all right, now they're definitely keeping the team, but then you're like, well, Theo's not really going to be a huge part of it, so now I'm like, maybe they are selling, and that's why they're kind of like not signing long-term deals, but then again, like, I think it was Hart's point, maybe, it's like, it is the Fenway Sports Group, so like, are you going to own everything else but Fenway? Yeah, that's like that. So I don't know, I don't know, like. Maybe, but he's just kind of buying stuff up. He might buy the NBA team if they get one in Vegas. And so it feels like he wants to have a team in every league, for God's sakes. So I don't know if you'd give up. I don't know if he'd give up the Red Sox. Let's see how this season goes. Like if they're still making a lot of money even when the team's bad, then the guy might guy might be here forever. Are right, you guys can uh, weigh in 617-779-7937. Add the Red Sox to the table. Doing a lot of dynasty talk. First two episodes were released last night on Apple TV Plus. Uh, to talk about those episodes and more, Mike Cadlick from WEI.com will join us coming up next. But right now, here is Stiz with What's Trending. Now, here's What's Trending on WEEI. Trending now on WEI and WEI.com. It's been a rough few games for the Bruins. They lost last night at home. The Kraken left the Garden with a 4-1 to victory. The lone Bruins goal coming from David Pasternak. The Bruins' homestand continues when they'll host the Kings, the Los Angeles Kings, tomorrow afternoon. Puck drops from Causeway Street at 1230. And other Bruins news prosecutors have dropped their domestic assault case against Milan Lucic after revealing that his wife declined to testify. And a judge ruled that her 911 call was inadmissible. The Bruins released a statement earlier today saying, quote, Milan Lucic will remain on indefinite leave from the organization for the remainder of the 23-24 season. 
The Boston Bruins organization supports Milan and his family as he continues his personal rehabilitation. Lucci's currently on a one-year deal with the Bruins. NBA All-Star Weekend kicks off tonight in Indianapolis with the Celebrity Game tonight at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow night, the Skills Challenge kicks off at 8, followed by the three-point shootout and the dunk contest in which Jalen Brown will be participating. Here's Jalen speaking earlier in the week on the dunk contest. Honestly, I, I think I'm in my athletic prime, uh, and I think it'll be fun. I wish more uh, top players slash athletes decided to compete in the dunk contest. You know, I grew up watching that. You know, that's what I love. So, you know, hopefully, you know, that comes back around. The All-Star Game goes down Sunday night, 8 p.m. Both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown will be participating in that game. I'm Stiz. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. More Ritz Keefe shows coming up. Remember, you can listen to WEI on your smart speaker. Just say, play 93.7 WEI. Now, more of the Rich Keefe Show on WEI. Back here on the Rich Keefe Show, WEEI. We'll check in with Mike Cadlick coming up here shortly from WEEI.com about the Dynasty, the Patriots documentary that has been, uh, at least the first two parts have been released on Apple TV+. Plus. But it is a full throttle Friday, so we are talking some socks. Let's go to Bill in the car. He joins us next. What's going on, Bill? Good evening, gentlemen. How are you doing tonight? Good. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just calling in. Um, Love your points about what's the point of bringing in Breslow if he's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's high bloom. Um, but just the thing with Alex Cora is I just – sounds like they didn't want to give him an extension and they just want him to finish coaching and see this through, see this year through. You know, it's a, a pathetic bridge year is what it is. But uh, I'm just super angry. I feel like I've been – as a as a as a big time baseball fan, I've just been kind of turning it off. I don't watch Nesson, I don't go to games, and I'm just very angry with the ownership. But uh, I, I feel like I can empathize with uh, Alex Cora. It's just it's just there's nothing. There's nothing yeah. this year. There's nothing to look forward to. Yeah, no, I mean I'm I'm kind of I'm with you there, unfortunately, Bill. And it just seems like with Cora, I don't know if something changed because he was so adamant that he was coming back. You know, it was like it was like last year at the end of the year, Heim Bloom was gone, and it was like you got to be back. He's like, I'm hundred, like whatever the exact quote was, it was like passionate, like I'm gonna be back, and I'm for sure gonna be back. They haven't played really, they haven't played any games since then. It's a start of what should be a brand new, fresh season. And saying, like, hey, do you want to be here? He's like, I don't want to talk about that. I, I can't. I, you're anywhere for five or six years. You gotta, you gotta move on. It's like, wait, what? That has taken a real turn. Because I thought Cora had more power than Breslow, even though the position Breslow has should be more powerful than the manager. But just because the uh, you know John Henry and Tom Warner love Cora so much, I thought he was safer. But it's almost like Craig Breslow maybe got the ear and was like, "I don't. That's not really the manager I want." And then this is this is me speculating. Breslow takes over the team, doesn't want Cora. But John Henry, because they're just trying to save as much money as possible, tells them, well, we're not going to pay two managers. We're not going to fire him and sign somebody else. So how about he plays out the year or manages out the year, and then we'll make a decision. Maybe you'll change your mind. Maybe you'll want him back. And if not, then we'll find somebody. But we're only going to pay one manager at a time. That's my that's my best guess. Let's go to uh, Dave in Dorchester. He's up next. What's up, Dave? Hey, guys. What's going on? I'm a first-time Caller, I love your show. I listen to it every night. Oh, thanks. I'm telling you right now, man, Alex Cora wants to be here. 
they're not giving him a roster, man. He's a triple-A manager right now. This is BS, yeah. man. He wants to be here. There's no doubt. John Henry sucks. <laughs> Jeremy Jacobs used to be the worst. Now, yeah. I'm telling you, man, John Henry, please, please keep everything. Keep your soccer team. Please trade the Red Sox to a guy that wants to win, man. That's all it is. Alex Cora wants to be here. I'll guarantee you put a winning team, a, a winning roster together, Alex Cora will be here 20 years. I'll bet you. Well, he that- just wants to win. But Can't Dave, but it. but Dave, if if it's going the way that it's been going, like he might want to be here in a perfect world, but unfortunately, it's clearly not a perfect world. So, don't you think he might want out? Because like this version of the Red Sox is not the version of the Red Sox that he when he first joined the team back in 2018. Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. That Alex Cora. Unfortunately for Alex Cora, his hearts and Bob Patriots. All right, we got, <laughs> that's two tonight so far. Yeah, yeah, we're rocking yeah, them up. It's yeah, Friday night. It's Friday. People are running hot. That's good. It's a good night for the Twitchers. And I can't promise you that the next person we talk to doesn't swear because the last time he was in the studio, he swore too. He did right. swear. Let's go to the uh, Harbor One Hotline where we bring in Mike Cadlick from WEEI.com. Watch <laughs> your mouth tonight, Cadlick. We can't be cussing on the air tonight. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'll be very, very careful. I'm good. How are we doing? Happy Friday. Uh, happy Friday to you as well. I know I'm interrupting uh, Pizza Friday for you, so I appreciate the time. But what was <laughs> your right. uh, your first impression or, or what stood out to you the most about the first two episodes of the Dynasty? Oh, man. Uh, there was a lot. Yeah. I mean, and it's just getting started. I've, I I was on the pre-screen list, so I was able to see the whole thing. All right. Um, so like we and so we had and that wasn't that wasn't a subtle flex. That, that was, was a brag. That was no, a that brag. was a, that was that a big was time a brag. brag. Stiz and I have been talking about it. There's a select group of people that have been uh, more than willing to share the fact that they've seen all ten episodes. But go ahead, that's fine. That's good. All right. So, so maybe it was a little bit, but the point being, <laughs> the point being is that um, there's a lot more to come. Right. So this sort of does just uh, it sort of uh, sets the stage here. Right. But so. There was, a, like, again, still, there was a lot. And um, I was listening, actually, to you and Andy last night kind of talking about some of it and how me and Andy on Six Rings were talking about how Drew Bledsoe was the man. And, like, that was something that, you know, kind of stood out to me that I hadn't fully realized because I was only, you know, five years old, six-year-old, whatever, however old I was. Yeah. And, like, I didn't really, you know, put that together at the time. Like, $100 million quarterback had only started two games because at you know had only started two games when he was paid that money because of what happened and it's like that was a very very tough decision for for Belichick to make coming off of you know another thing that I sort of took away was he has this history with quarterbacks like the stuff he did with Bernie Kosar in Cleveland was oh, yeah uh, kind of unprecedented like I didn't realize that until seeing this and so. Uh, I mean, he was he was literally, I mean, not literally, but they made, you know, things with him and Art Modell burn them at the stake. Like, that dude was hated for oh, the yeah. Bernie Kosar decision. Yep. So for him to come in and make another one with that another franchise quarterback like that, it really took balls. But, um, you know, that was that was really the, the main thing there with Bledsoe and then uh, Belichick. And then, you know, some of the other stuff in episode one, like the, the Ty Law, Tom Brady, you know, back and forth with the condo was pretty funny. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the uh, the the prank they played on Brady was pretty good. But um, overall, I mean, episode one was kind of a lot of uh, Bledsoe-centric. And then episode two with the snowball, um, the one thing I would say there is just I, I thought it was interesting that it kind of seemed like Brady 
he basically said, I didn't think we could win that game until Belichick came over and rallied us and said, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, we're going to go up-tempo, and we're going to go win it. Yeah. And so that whole killer instinct, the comeback kid thing from Brady, kind of seemed like it stemmed from Belichick. So yeah. I thought that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, I, I like that, too, because you know we've done so much over the last five years. You know, like Brady's last two years, and then watching them be a part, and you know everybody really jumping onto Brady's side. You have a few people still defending Belichick, but... Right. You kind of forget how it started and how it was able to last as long as it did. And you could see in the early going there, like Bill defending them at the press conferences where all the media members are like, how come it's not Bledsoe? Like, is it Bledsoe? Yeah. Your shirt's Brady. Your shirt's Brady. And he was sticking with them. And then there's a clip of, of Tom Brady when he was asked to assess his performance. He's like, well, ask Coach Belichick. Like, they were in lockstep right away. Yeah. And there was a great cut in there from Michael Holly when he was saying – Belichick said to him, he's like, this guy, he didn't call him a guy. He called him something else. But he's like, this guy picks up everything that I'm saying. Like, he's like, I haven't had any other, like, players really do that. And it's funny because when you go back to Cleveland, he made the right call. Bernie Kosar was cooked. The problem was he handed it off to, like, Todd Philcox and, like, Mike Tomzak. Like, he didn't have anybody good to back him up. Whereas this decision with Bledsoe, he and Ernie Adams and Pioli were for sure convinced Bledsoe wasn't the answer, but like you didn't know who you were turning it over yeah. to, and yet Bill had that confidence in Brady. They made it Pioli, and I thought it, the unsung hero of the first two episodes I thought was Scott Pioli. I thought he told great stories. He was candid. Um, not that he didn't really break anything groundbreaking. There wasn't much groundbreaking stuff in the first couple episodes, but I just the way that he sort of opened up, told stories about him and Bill and what they thought um, was pretty cool. But yeah, you mentioned it. Like it kind of seemed like they were ready to turn it over to Brady before the injury even happened. Yeah, like yeah. the way that, and the, the way Pioli was doing the, the, the wildebeest comment from Ernie oh Adams God. was hilarious, <laughs> but like, he does a, he does a kick-ass Ernie Adams impression. But, oh my uh, God. He's doing, when so, he started doing the impression, he was off camera and I'm like, is that, is that Ernie yeah, still seriously. like talking? I'm like, Oh no, it's Pioli doing an Ernie. That's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, right. But, uh, no, I mean, it kind of seemed like they thought Bledsoe was cooked as far as his, his pocket presence because he got hit so much. And so it almost felt like a sigh of relief that they had an excuse to put Brady in and kind of let him do his thing. I do feel like slightly misleading for people who didn't follow the Patriots or who were really young like you yeah. is that Bledsoe wasn't coming off a great year. In fact, Bledsoe had three years in a row where it was like, uh, all right, like, do we blame the teammates? Is it him? Like, his, he was mm-hmm. a pro bowler in 97. So we watched three seasons of him taking sacks and throwing picks. So I think people were ready. I know a lot of the fan base was getting ready to move on from Bledsoe, but the documentary made it sound like you were replacing, you know, Joe Montana. And so I'm like, I think it was, the, that was one thing I kind of quibble with. Like they kind of hyped well, then- him up. Yeah. So I guess that I'm curious because, again, they don't talk about it in the documentary. And like I said, I was sort of naive to it. Like, why why would they give him that a 10-year, $100 million contract at that point in time then? I don't know. (laughs) He was obviously very very good, right? And, like, they went to the Super Bowl in 96. He was the number one overall pick by the franchise in 93, which predates Kraft and Bill. But yeah, right. after a five and eleven season, I, I guess it was either that or he was going to walk, or you weren't going to get anything from him like that. That specifically, I don't remember, but I do know that we were even yeah. looking at the stats earlier. He had in uh, ninety nine, he threw more picks than touchdowns. So 
Like he was yeah, regarded that's, that's as a, a good crazy player. spot to hand that yeah. over to somebody. But again, yeah. and I think Kraft mentioned at the beginning something about, you know, he needed to give the fans some hope and something to root for. So maybe just sticking by the guy and being like, we're going to ride or die by Drew Bledsoe. Yep. Um, but then obviously that doesn't end up being the case. And clearly like the, the teammates all had a, tremendous amount of respect for him like Ty Law and all those right. guys were like that's oh, his team like it's obviously going to be turned over to him and it's going to be his team uh, I'm curious without giving too much away for the rest of the documentary is it super pro craft like the book was because I thought in the first two episodes like you know crafts in it he speaks but it's not like oh my god get this guy in the hall of fame and like he did no wrong mm-hmm. he's all good like did you come away thinking like Man, this is just a craft uh, puff piece. No, not really. Um, and more so because, like, kind of like what you just said, like, it's not just him sitting there telling the stories the whole time. Like, you know, if you read Chad Graff's piece in The Athletic, he talks about it a little bit more in detail. But, like, how, you know, this thing got ugly towards the end and people kind of start to turn. And it's not Kraft telling those stories. It's Edelman and Gronkowski yeah. and Slater and McCourt. So, like... I mean, it, could Kraft have said, hey, come in here and say X, Y, and Z? I, I guess he could have, but it's coming from their firsthand accounts. It's not coming from Kraft. So right. um, does it paint Belichick in a great light? No, I don't, I don't think so, frankly. But he, and it, and it was talked about, and I know that Jeff Benedict was on Jones and Mego today talking about, I mean, how Belichick did his thing and came and spoke to them, but even he kind of realized that he didn't really want, seem to want to be a part of this. And I know Curran said, to them yesterday that he didn't want to be a part of it either, but he, he stood in there and he said his, you know, kind of gave his, his reasons as to why things went the way they did. And in no, he doesn't really say it this way, but you can tell that he basically, you know, he's set in his ways and he doesn't want to change things for around different types of people. And so, yeah, um, like it's funny that you say that because Belichick, we've seen him in other, obviously like, you know, the college game day, army Navy, but we've seen him on NFL films. We've seen him breaking down the top 100 and he's much more laid back and comfortable. This one yeah. kind of feels like it kind of feels like press conference Bill Belichick. Like he's wearing the suit, he's all kind of tight. And then it's funny because then it'll flash to guys like Ty Law and William McGinnis, who are like super animated. They look comfortable. They're wearing comfortable clothes. Like they're like yeah, just right. telling their story where Belichick's still like, you know, in football, like you only have like your name and your reputation and like there's good stuff in there, but yeah, it does. I wouldn't say it's a hostage video, but it's not far off from it either. Uh, so, and I just, I when I rewatched it again to to write something for the website the other day, the first scene you see, and they show Belichick like rolling his neck in the in the trailer. Yes, yes. In the thing, I'm I'm pretty sure they they have the sound of his neck cracking when he does that. And it's <laughs> oh like, God. oh, this is, and I don't know if that was dubbed in or not, but when I rewatched it again, I was like, wow, you can literally hear him like moving his. His phone's around and is, like, getting ready to, like, give, give it all. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's fun. Um, it's enjoyable. Again, I don't necessarily think there's too many, like, groundbreaking things in this whole thing. I mean, some, some issues and problems are explained out a little bit further. But okay. um, it's, I, overall, it's, it's a good time. And it's, especially being a Patriots fan, it's, it's cool to see the whole thing kind of. Uh, it, it gives a little bit of closure to the whole thing, I guess. Well, that's that's what I wanted to ask, Cads. Like again, without spoiling too much, did they address the Malcolm Butler benching thing? And did it, if so, did it leave you like, okay, I'm satisfied. I, I know what happened. No, yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 didn't, I didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I guess I'm trying to 
you know, being on the embargo list. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, they, uh, no, there's no real clear cut answer. People kind of say why they think things might've happened or, you know, give like, um, I guess what they may think, but there is no clear cut answer. And Belichick does not answer to the question. I wonder if we'll ever get that answer. It doesn't. I mean, we won't at this, this would point. Have been it, I, I, I think. Well, isn't Malcolm going to do an autobiography at some point? Like, a I book? mean, he teased that, but like, he's got nothing. Like, it'd be out by now. And I also think, <laughs> yeah, like in two years, like, let's say Bill doesn't get another job and he's just out of the league altogether, and then he writes a book, like, or with somebody, like they write a book. Maybe then, but even still, probably not. It feels like this thing is like we all we've all heard stuff. We've all there's all kinds of theories right. circling around, but it's you know kind of reckless. You can't really go with any of that on the air. But that 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 leads me to believe that it was a non-football, like very personal. That's what I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it was non-football. 100%. Yeah, I think so too. But that's also again though, if it was something like that, I do feel like it what it might have been leaked. You know from a more reputable, reputable or reliable source than just all the hearsay rumors that no one wants to come. It's just, it's still, and I know, I mean, it feels like it's whatever, seven years ago and we did months on this, but like he, the fact that he was active, he was on this, like he was, he was, in fact, I think it was an NBC might've had the broadcast that year. They do like they their graphic of the starters, and he was one of the starters. So like earlier in the week, or the yeah. day of, or the day before, when they like tell you know the TV people like, "All right, here are our start." He was starting. Then he was on right. the sideline crying. So he'd already been told he wasn't going to play, but he got in on two special teams plays. So I'm like, if it was so bad, he's not on the sideline, and if it was so bad, he's not playing a little bit. Like he was just trying to embarrass the guy, and yet they're you get- wondered- yeah, I don't know. You you wonder too if like okay did he get hurt in warmups but at that point like why wouldn't they just say that like it's that easy or like yeah or he wouldn't have covered he wouldn't have covered two kicks right like if he pulled his hamstring like he's not covering two kicks then there's that weird thing where I think Mike Reese had the audio with him walking out of there they're like what happened he's like I don't know I guess they just gave up on me and you're like I don't know I don't know which end is up with this thing you could talk yourself you could talk about it forever is the problem right. Yep, hundred percent. And it sucks too that you, again, Stiz. I'm sorry, but we don't get an answer to it. There, it's still, it's still very much up in the air. Why the heck that guy didn't play in the Super Bowl? But like to your point, like I am, I, I love watching the old highlights combined with some of the behind the scenes, like inside the locker room comments, and like yeah. so that that alone is good enough for me. I didn't expect this to be, you know, we're gonna get all the answers. Like if if the rest of the documentary is like the first two episodes, I, I'm gonna enjoy it. Like I've liked it so so, so far. And I wrote. I wrote this, um, it was in episode two, and I'm pretty sure the phone call that they show between Belichick and Brady is the only time we've ever seen that. And so, like they mentioned... That was cool, um, yeah. Yeah, like Hamilcheck, I think the guy's name is, the director, and then um, uh, the guy who wrote the book, uh, Benedict, who are doing their sort of, their their media rounds right now. Like, they keep, you know, touting 35,000 hours of unseen footage, and like, they put in bits and pieces of there. None of, again, I keep using the word, none of it's groundbreaking, but it is cool to see that kind of stuff. And like yeah. the phone call with Kraft was getting phone calls from people in his office and he's sitting there overlooking the field. Like yeah, that was that's cool. just, that's pup piece stuff, but it's also stuff that's pretty cool. And when you haven't yeah. seen it before and you're a Patriots fan, then like, I don't know. I think it's pretty interesting. Like again, to hear what Belichick actually told Brady, they don't really record the six round picks and post that kind of stuff, especially not in, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. Right. So, 
I don't know. That's that's the kind of nostalgia Patriots, you know, Patriots Bobo stuff that I think is pretty cool. Too. Definitely. Yeah, no, I like it. He's Mike Cadlick. He has seen the entire documentary. <laughs> and, uh, you can check out his breakdowns at WEEI.com. Mike, thanks for the time. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, you got it, fellas. Have a good weekend. All right, good stuff. Uh, again, Mike Cadlick, check him out on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and, uh, of course, WEEI. Dot com. Let me grab this call real quick. I want to get to take uh, Mike in situate on uh, the, the dynasty. Mike, what do you got? What's going on, Keith? How are you, pal? Good, good, good. So I'm just curious, like, how can everyone hate on Bledsoe so much? How so? What do you mean? This guy, this, this guy literally put the Patriots back on the map. Yeah. He literally put them back on the map. Okay. Do you guys not agree with that? Yeah, I think Bledsoe did. Yeah, Bledsoe and uh, Parcells were huge for for making the team relevant again. Right. So like he's getting all this disrespect, and oh, by the way, what do you mean? He what do you mean all this dis- all this disrespect? Do no, because you- everyone's like, oh, he's a statue just standing there. Well, he kind of was, guys. Mike. And like, do you think he was great from in two thousand and ninety nine? My my whole point was the-, the way that I don't know if you watched the dynasty. The way they the way they portrayed it was like. You're taking this MVP candidate and you're replacing him. Where the the truth is, he had had a decline. His best years were ninety six, ninety seven. He he wasn't playing at his best when he got replaced. Well, he was getting his ass kicked one hundred percent, like every weekend, and he still okay. stuck in there. He he was literally throwing for three, four hundred yards a game with nothing around him. And oh, by the way, he probably still would have won. A Super Bowl in that two th- year. in two thousand, uh, he went five and eleven, and he threw for two hundred and five yards a game. Listen, I I I I'm, I totally agree with you, but okay. that year, yep. I still think he would have won that year. Yeah, I mean that's a and, that's a, that's a and, question and, that the okay. people have. I don't think so. I don't think it was going that way. He lost his first two games. I don't think it was going in that direction. I think there are other guys that are on the team. I think Wiggy and Ty Law. I think were both asked about it at one point. I think they might have said they would have won with Drew because those guys, and they should, they had a lot of confidence in their defense. Their defense was awesome. Look at how many studs they had on defense that year. I don't think they would have won with Bledsoe. I'm also not trying to bury the guy. He was incredible, and we were, for a run, he had a he had an unbelievable run, and the Patriots were terrible for a handful of years, just the pits, hence why you had the number one overall pick. He showed up, helped legitimize the franchise. I give him credit for that. I mentioned in the first hour how I have – couple of idiot friends of mine who weren't ready to give up on Bledsoe greater than Brady until Brady had won like five Super Bowls. They were like, all right, maybe he is now. People love Bledsoe. Bledsoe and Nomar, two athletes at a, at a similar time that get completely overlooked 25 years later because they weren't a part of all the winning. But these team, none of these teams were winning at a great clip in the, in the 90s. So you had to have star guys, and they were great. They just missed out. Like if, you know, Nomar famously gets traded the year that they win it. Drew Bledsoe on the team in 01, but is clearly the backup, and then he's gone. But those guys were great. All I'm saying is that's one thing I I thought was a little misleading in the first two episodes was, like, nobody was questioning it. Like, everybody was happy with Bledsoe. Like, I I think there were certainly people. We even took a few calls earlier tonight that were, like, I was right there saying, all right, they got we need they they needed to move on. You're a Bledsoe hater. 
That's right. <laughs> no. in, in, in summation. That's why I yeah. can't wait to talk to Andy Hart uh, next week because yep. I'm curious what he was thinking at the time. Definitely. I'm also curious if he was in that uh, press conference, the T-E-A-M, you know, like those. I, uh, oh, I guarantee you he was. Yeah, I, I think he was, but I would just love to talk to him like I forget what if, he was thinking at the time. I, was Hart's first year 2000 or 99? No, I think it was 2000. So all those media scrums and all those things, that was also cool to see all those guys. And that's very, like, I was saying this documentary is kind of a uh, niche Caring about the media members is like a niche within a niche. Like the fact that I thought like the Bob Ryan, Bob LaBelle thing was cool. Seeing like a young Michael Holly and like Felger Their walking around. recorders, yeah. putting them on the yeah. podium. No, all that stuff was was cool. But yeah, I bet you'll see Andy Hart in, in one of these. You got it. You got to see one, uh, him. I'm sure he's looking for himself. And if and you know what? He'll tell us. Oh, yeah. If I'm he sure. sees himself, he will tell us. <laughs> all right. 617-779-7937, the number to jump aboard if you want to talk about the Dynasty or if you want to talk about the Red Sox because it is a full throttle Friday uh, things continue to uh, not go great for your Boston Red Sox. We'll talk about all that with you. And I want to get to, at some point, NBA All-Star Weekend and Jalen Brown in the dunk contest. It is a Full Throttle Friday here on the Rich Keefe Show, WEEI. If you missed any of our Patriots Monday and Friday interviews, go back and listen on the podcast anytime. Just subscribe to the Rich Keefe Show on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts. Now, more of the Rich Keefe Show on WEEI. Back here on the Rich Keith Show, WEEI. It's a full throttle Friday, now up until the Red Sox season, which is just around the corner. In fact, we have spring games the next week or the week after that. Like it's, It is upon us. Uh, the roster, not great. The outlook, worse. But whether you like it or not, Red Sox baseball is uh, coming your way. They missed out on another... Uh, Potential free agent signing and a second baseman, Whit Merrifield, former uh, Blue Jay, this past year with the Blue Jays, was an all-star with the Blue Jays, signs a one-year deal with the Phillies. So scratch him off the list. If you're even keeping track of these guys anymore, if you think the Red Sox are going to spend any more money, it feels like they will not. Uh, let's go back to the phones. we got Brendan and Peabody. He's up next. Wants to talk Sox. What do you got, Brendan? Hey, Keith. How you doing? Good. Um, I was just responding you were talking about why we even fired Heim Bloom. Yeah. Um and it seems like the Craig Breslow replacement is pretty much identical. Yeah. Essentially I think Breslow wasn't even plan B, C or D. He's like down to plan F mm-hmm. and Z, you know? Yeah. Um and I think that's why Alex Core is really bummed out. He seemed really hyped at the end of last season when when um when we knew Bloom was going to be gone, yeah. but Breslow comes in and your big adesh- additions are Greg Weiser, Richard Fitz, Cooper, Cooper Criswell, yeah, and of great. course Giolito. Right. So I think that's why he's pretty much checked out and he's going to go through the lame duck season. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. I think you're uh, I think you're probably onto something there. Like that wasn't their first choice. It was so crazily reminiscent of the Patriots offensive coordinator search. They interviewed 12 guys and then finally landed on Alex Van Pelt and then just gave him the job. The Red Sox, I think, had 12 people turn them down for interviews. They were asking everybody, like, hey, you want this job? You want this job? They're like, no, thank you. They're like, you're running the Red Sox. It's like, yeah, but are you, are you really running the Red Sox? Or is Cora kind of running the Red Sox? And is John Henry not spending money on the team anymore? And if the team isn't great in two years, you're going to get fired. Or 
you could win a World Series like Dave Dombrowski did, and then a couple of years later, you don't like the way things are going spending-wise, so you fire him too. It was, it's not a great job. It's an easy scapegoat. Henry and Warner are going to look at that guy, and there's going to be turnover. And like, hey, hey, see, fans, we're trying. We swapped out the, uh, the, the GM or the chief baseball officer. We moved on. It's like, well, but if that guy or gal is not allowed to spend money, not allowed to give long-term contracts, what can you really expect out of them? But, yeah, you, that it's a great point. I mean, Craig Breslow was nowhere near their first option. Who knows what number, if you really went all the way down to it, from the people they did interview, the people they they requested interviews from, and then they landed on Breslow. And part of the reason I think Breslow even got the job was because he worked with Theo in Chicago. He was more of like a pitching guru than anything else. And then now he's added to the staff, and he sounds exactly like Bloom. Both Yale guys. Both use words that confuse me. Now, that's a lot of people do that, but... The results, like just what we've seen, I don't think I like any of the moves that they've made. And then the non-moves are even worse. Now, Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery are still out there. So if you are uh, holding out hope that they get a, you know, maybe get a discount on one of these guys and uh, add to their rotation, then great. But it doesn't feel, doesn't feel likely. I don't know if they even have five starters right now or guys that you want to go into the season with. Their lineup's worse. And there are rumors that they're going to trade the back end of their bullpen, which was a strength for the team last year. There's a Jaron Duran rumor, too, that he might go to the Padres. So it, as bad as it looks right now, it could actually be worse in a in a month. But, yeah, the uh, season starts soon. Spring training games this month. Got a regular season game right at the end of March, I believe. So, yeah, we are uh, we are in it. Baseball season is upon us. Two hours down, two hours to go on the Rich Keefe Show. If you have any thoughts on the dynasty, the first two episodes, I am all ears. We've been talking about that throughout the night. I do want to get to the uh, the NBA uh, and the Celtics at the All-Star break. Cruising right now at the break. How are you feeling about the Seas and Jalen Brown in the slam dunk contest? We'll get to all that coming up next here on the Rich Keefe Show, WEEI.